All right, so we're going to be finishing up that first part of chapter 5, going verses 1 through 7. If you would, Jake, just kind of keep your eye out when we have questions. And you too. All right. I'm just going to... Take a chair here. Okay, so papers. I have on here today, I try and alternate where we, so it's not academic all the time. Today I hope to have a little bit of discussion. Um, So please look through these questions and be thinking about the answers as as we go through. You're welcome. I probably should. I don't see well. I know. uh, Can imagine. uh, If I can get my my flashlight here. (laughs) I could do print out some larger, larger print ones. Here you go, Jen. Is Alex coming back? He's not working today, huh? That's good. Okay. See. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Next time, if I remember, I'll try and print out one with large print. Okay. Well, if I can remember, I will. Anyone not get a paper yet? Okay. I have more, so as if your spouses or whatever come in, they can come get one. Okay, so Ecclesiastes 5. Does anyone, the first question on there is from last week, just a review. Does anyone remember uh, what it means to keep your feet? That's chapter 5, verse 1. Does anyone remember in a word what we said that meant? Yeah. No, not even close. <laughs> yeah, Owen. I mean, in a sort of an abstract way. So let me read it. Maybe that'll recall to your mind what it means. Okay, go ahead. Never mind. Okay. Um. Okay. Chapter 5. <clears throat> I guess we should do a review more often. I just sort of assume you guys remember it all. Okay, here we go. Keep thy feet, keep your feet when you go to the house of God, for it is nearer to obey than to offer the sacrifice of the disobedient. 
as they who obey know not to do evil. I'll just read the whole section. Do not hasten on your mouth and do not urge your heart to utter words before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Moreover, dreaming comes through the multitude of things and foolish talk through the multitude of words. When you vow a vow to God, hesitate not to pay it, for fools have no fixed will. Pay that which you have vowed. Better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not suffer your mouth to cause your flesh to sin, and do not say before the angel that it was error. Why should God be angry on account of your idle talk and destroy the work of your hands? For it is through the multitude of idle thoughts and vanities and much talking, but fear the Lord. So, the question, anyone remember now? Did that jog your memory? No? Okay, so keeping your feet is like walking in the way of the Lord, um, obeying the Lord. Come, Come having obeyed is the idea. So come having obeyed instead of disobeying and have to make a sacrifice. That's just by way of review. So today we're going to try and get through verses 2 to 7. So let me read verse 2. Do not hasten on your mouth and do not urge your heart to utter words before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. From the caution given how to appear before God, which is what we just talked about, Koleth passes to the mode in which our request should be made known to him. Two things are to be observed in offering up our prayers. We are, in the first place, not to hurry on our mouth to speak as much and as fast as it can. And secondly, we are not to allow our heart to produce its thoughts precipitately. We are to exercise reverence and godly fear in the manner and forethought and discretion in the matter of our supplications. Hold on a sec. Kind of a little, seemed a little loud there. Okay, both our words and our thoughts are to be simple and few at a time. So the reason for that restraint is given in the phrase, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Anyone want to hazard a guess as to what that might mean? Want to paraphrase that? God is in heaven and you are on earth. What's that meant to communicate? Jin, you want to give that a stab? When you hear that, what what do you think? What comes to your mind? Think of like him being high above us, and like he is. We're so much lower than he is. Just remembering our humble state to his glorified and awesome state. Yeah, exactly. 
God is vastly, one might say infinitely, superior to us. And it's fitting that we would desire to hear what he has to say and not what we have to say. Um, this is reminiscent of what the Father tells Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, I'm going to give some verses out and we'll read those real quick. Zach, you want to do Matthew 17.5. Stephen, would you do Mark 9.7. And any two other volunteers? Yep, Janelle and Owen. Janelle, you could do Luke nine thirty five and Owen Acts three twenty two. So go ahead, Zach, when you're ready. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Right, so that's after Peter babbles on about tents and stuff. And that's, you know, you could take that as like, Hey, stop talking. Here's Jesus. Listen to what he has to say. We don't care what you have to say. <laughs> right? Okay, um, Scott? Or sorry, uh, Stephen. All right, uh, Mark nine seven, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Okay, Janelle. Oh, sorry, you don't have a mic. Oh, here we go. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, "This is my beloved son. Hear him." Okay, so all three the same thing, and all three gospel accounts the exact same message, and then. Owen, Acts 3.22. Acts 3.22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Okay. So that's Jesus again, right? We should listen to Jesus. We should listen to the word. We should be concerned with what he has to say. And that's ultimately what we're listening to when we come to church to worship is God's word, okay? So that's the idea. And um, here's a little quote from Ginsburg. If those who arrange, sorry, give me a sec. If those who appear before earthly potentates arrange their thoughts and words in an intelligent manner and in small compass, how much more ought we to do it as we ought to remember the infinite distance between the majesty who is enthroned in heaven and his subjects upon earth? Fewness of words in the presence of our superiors indicates a due reverence for their elevated position and a modest acknowledgement of our inferiority. So the idea is if you're going to talk to your boss or this person who runs the company or the president of the United States or what, someone who's important and dignified and has great authority over you, you don't want to babble on. You just you want to be thoughtful and controlled in what you say and arranging your thoughts, right? The idea is how much more should we do that when we're speaking to God who's in heaven? Okay. Do you have a paper, Alex? Did I? Okay, excellent. 
Okay, so um, that sort of <clears throat> makes you in some way feel like, oh, maybe I should just shut my mouth and never say anything, right? Um, which is not the case if you're going to appear before your boss or the president either, right? You're there to contribute something, right? To say something. It just should be controlled and thoughtful is the idea. So the question is, if we're not to heap up words when we pray, can you think of an example from Scripture of how we should pray? That's your second question on the sheet. Jen, uh, microphone. Uh, Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Salah. So there's definitely that aspect of um, we are pouring out our heart and our concerns to him. So okay. there's a difference between like the analogy of the president or your boss. Is there certain things you're not going to maybe share with them, but the Lord is the person that you are to pour your heart out to him, even if it is in that controlled and thoughtful way. There's still a giving of that. Yep. Certainly it comes from the heart, right? It's not something put on or hypocritical at the very least, yep. Any other... Um, you guys can come up with some... Let's try a New Testament one. Is Can you think of anything in script Alakai. Someone have the microphone? Near, yeah. Okay. In Matthew uh, six nine, in this manner, therefore, pray: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he goes on to say, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Okay. So we've got... I'll read that section real quick. Um, Matthew 6, 5 to 6, talks about... I'll read it real quick. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they, are, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this is all in the context of practicing your righteousness before others. This is more... When you pray, are you doing it before others to be seen by them? No, you should do it on your own. But that doesn't really tell us what to pray about. The next section deals with that, which is 7 to 13. And this is obviously Jesus speaking. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Well, this is handy. Jesus is telling us how we might pray. Okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Anyone know what that word means? Hollywood? Do you have a note in your Bible, maybe? Yep. Yeah, let your name be kept holy. Let your name be treated with reverence is what my note says. Same thing. Um, So that's the idea that God's name would be praised, honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So you could summarize those first two verses as praising God, right? Looking forward to being in his presence. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the first part, five to six, um, we shouldn't pray to be seen by others. In what context might that happen to us today? Jake? I can't find the verse at the moment, sorry, but um, I think of the, the, Pharise- um, the Pharisee and the publican. He stands, I thank you, God, that I am not like these other men. You know, I fast, I tithe, I do all right. these good things, and there's a lot of words, and it's public. And um, the, uh, the publican, he, he doesn't even, you know, he just bends over, he can't even look up, you know what I mean? He's very contrite, and, and his words are kind of few, and he's just like, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And I, I kind of like that, because it's, that's that's a moment when he had when when the Pharisee had had a chance to um, exalt himself in front of others in a way that looked very um, sort of sanctimonious. How, so how might we do that today? Um, yeah, um, carry over any time where you are with um, others who are Christians or believers, and you have a moment to sort of extol yourself and just be like, and. Oh, I did this, God did this amazing thing through me. You know, he used me in a mighty way, you might say, or like, I I just felt so close to God. I felt like I was so holy, you know, and I just, just feel like I made a difference today. And yet just any time when there's that temptation to publicly give yourself the, you know, that little extra, because even the, even the Pharisee seemed as though he was trying to give some credit to God. He said, I thank you, God, you know, that you... So, so he, we'd, like, turn the focus yeah, back to ourselves. Yeah. He starts off that way. I thank you, God, that I am not like these other men. So in a way, he sounds like he's giving God the glory, but clearly by his posture and the rest of his words, right. he, he, he sort of wraps it in this veil of thank you, God. But the heart of it is that, like, look at me, you know. Right. You know, okay. I'm, so anytime we're around other people who um, are impressed by... Um, holiness or that sort of thing, if we're giving ourselves more credit than we're giving God, I would say that's something like a modern-day application. Okay. Any other ideas on that? Stephen and then Alex. Charlotte, give that to Mr. Palmquist. Yeah, I think it can happen a lot, like just when you go out to eat uh, at a restaurant and and pray, you know, if if you're over the top with it and people, you know, you're drawing attention to yourself or if the waitress has to wait for you to finish your prayer before she takes your order, that could be kind of over the top and and kind of out of line with what's being prescribed here. Okay. Alex? I was actually thinking the same thing. Like praying in public for food, it's, there's a, a balance of, you know, we want to give God thanks uh, for the food that we have. Um, we're told to not do it in a stately way. Um, and so, like, wanting to be humble when we do it. 
but yet also not just leaving it off out of fear of man too because that's the other side right like oh I don't want to look weird so I'm just not going to do it and going under the guise of oh I'm told to not pray in public and so yeah okay no thank you and I mean the idea even in the passage is you're doing it to be seen by others so all of it all of these share that in common Um, and you might even do it you might even do it uh, so that the people know that you're a Christian. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just you're doing it to be seen by others. Um, and there is an element, obviously, of praying when you pray, considering your audience, right? If you're praying with your kids at night, you are going to be praying for their sins and your sins in a way that if you were alone praying to God, it might be different. Right. Or when they pray, when Jeremy prays or anyone else prays during a formal worship service, there's a very conscious awareness that you're praying before other people. Okay, but that's this is more just speaking to when we do pray, we shouldn't be doing it um, to be seen by others. Okay, Uh, another example that that I thought of is during communion when we have a time to pray um, and bow our heads, are we just bowing our heads but really distractedly thinking about other things? That's the hypocrite who, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the hypocrite who is praying to be seen by others, right? You're bowing your head just simply to be seen as if you're praying by others. It's another possible way of doing it. Now, I think more relevant to our passage, though, is the next bit. Um, and I think seven and eight, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's really exactly what Koaleth is talking about. Let your words be few. That's simple idea, right? Don't heap up empty words. Um, this prayer is also very short and you could summarize it pretty easily and briefly um, nine and ten could be may God be honored and we look forward to his return 11 and 12 please provide for us and forgive us our sins um, the assumption there is we're also forgiving others and if we're bitter and angry towards someone right now we're obviously not forgiving them so we shouldn't make excuses for our behavior or blame others. The, then, then the last part is just keep us from sin. So you could simplify it even more as praising God, request for provision and forgiveness of sin, and a request to keep us from sin. And that's pretty much the whole prayer. Um, and really, to further <laughs> simplify it, you could call it obeying, which is repenting and not sinning, and then fearing God. Under that category of fearing God would be extolling his name. Okay, there's some other references I'll put on the sheet to some other verses of types of prayers and things, but they really fall into that type of category, and I think Jesus there gives us a really good example. And it is amazing to me that a good portion of that prayer is just praising God, Um, that's maybe in terms of word count is roughly half. 
And then in the remainder of the prayer, it's mostly centered around sin, confessing sin, and then um, praying to keep us from future sin. And then just right in the middle is thank you for our provisions. So really it's just, it's praising God. And then we have thank you for the provisions. And then the rest is about obedience, about obeying God, confessing what we have sinned and then uh, keeping us from sin in the future. So that's a good model for prayer for us. It, it could be few, our words could be few, but we could think of that as a way of structuring our thoughts. Okay, so um, <clears throat> verse 3. Moreover, dreaming comes through the multitude of things and foolish talk through the multitude of words. Okay, another reason to enforce the caution given in the preceding verse. Not only does the reverence due to an ordinary sovereign require of us to be simple and brief in our thoughts and words when we address the king of kings, but the evil resulting from engaging in too many things or speaking too much on any occasion forbids us to pursue such a line of conduct in the presence of the majesty of heaven. For surely, if engaging the mind in a variety of things brings it into a dreamy and confused state, and if indulging the tongue in voluble talk engenders folly, frothy and wordy addresses to God must be an evil. So that's the idea, what we talked about before. If we do that with heavenly, or sorry, if we do that with earthly leaders and authorities, we shouldn't do that with God either. And that is a way to show respect. So there are two distinct objects mentioned in the preceding verse, um, i.e. the multiplication of words as well as of things. The one is connected with the mouth and the other is connected with the heart. And the two clauses in this verse refer to those two objects respectively. So this is then this is also later addressed in verse six, as we'll get to. But in other words, the dreaming that comes from a multitude of things is the result of urging our heart to utter words before God. So the state of dreaming or fantasizing or simply not controlling our thoughts results from urging our hearts and minds on. Further, the foolish talk, which comes through the multitude of words, is what results from hastening on our mouths. In other words, when we talk too much, we're bound to put forth foolish talk. So foolish talk is what results from hastening on our mouths or simply put, letting our mouths go, not controlling them. In contrast, we should be controlling our mouths and thoughts to conform them to God's thoughts i.e. listening to God and seeking to obey. Questions on that? It seemed like God's being harsh, coalesce being harsh and not recognizing God's graciousness. 
Um, next question on your sheet is, oh, you already have two. Okay. <clears throat> uh, what might it look like to listen in church and control your thoughts to be seeking to obey? What might that actually look like? What might you actually do? Mr. Fessler. Maybe you can take notes on your own so to ensure that you're focusing. Good idea. Take some notes to control your thinking. Yeah. Jake? Just the briefest moment of reflection about our position that, as the verse says, that God is in heaven, that he is God, that you are about to give voice to the Lord of all creation, the end of days. We have no idea how terrifying God can be when he wants to. So the fact that we're about to speak to him from our very humble, sinful, earthly, you know, fleshly body, just the briefest moment to, re- to just remember where we stand in relation to that so that perhaps the, the, the trifling thing that, you know, m- or maybe something that on further reflection wasn't really a, a, a prayer that was, you know, bounded in godly wisdom. Maybe we say, oh, you know what? I think, you know, maybe praying that the Coke machine is not out of Coke wasn't the best use of a prayer to the, you know, all-knowing God. Um, Just as an example. But, you know, something like that. So we're just kind of like, is this something I want to bring before the Lord of all creation as a person? So just recognizing, again, our position, God's position, and approaching things with reverence. And it could be brief, like a second or two. But but, but just to keep you from just like turning on the tap and out come lots of words, like you're making an order at Wendy's, you know, like take just a brief moment to remember who you are. Absolutely. Um. Other ideas, what it might look like to listen in church. This is more. Just to make sure to follow the references. Go flip to them and read along to make sure that your mind's engaged. Okay, so another way to kind of control your thinking is to make sure you're following along, follow the references. Yep. Mr. Palmquist. If you have kids, helping them, train, training them to not be, like, distracting. Absolutely. If your kids are a distraction, you're making it hard for, or you're a distraction, you're making it hard for other people to pay attention. Okay? This is more. Sometimes I need to remember to look up at Jeremy or whomever's up there just fix my eyes on them and be paying attention in that way instead of otherwise having my head down. Yep, you could do that. And again, these are all kind of personal things, right? Other people might get distracted by looking at him, and so they want to focus on the text. But yes, do what works for you to make sure that you're following along with the message, right? Um, One thing would be, I mean, and we're kind of all saying these things, Actually paying attention and not being distracted, not letting your mind wander, not looking at your phone, not checking your emails, not thinking about work or what you're going to do when you get home or whatever. Okay, those that's kind of your basic foundational paying attention. Hopefully, Mrs. Palmquist is going to have the next level for us. 
Maybe not. I was just going to say this is something that I've heard advised in prayer, or it could be when you're trying to listen. Sometimes things do come to mind that you're like, I really need to not forget that, and you just keep thinking about it. And sometimes people will write it to a side, like have a spot where you're like, I can write one word down. I don't need to keep thinking about that. I can go back to focusing on the thing in front of me without, in the back of my head, trying to remember something. At That's the same great. Time. Yep. I'll do that in the morning uh, with my devotion, too. I'll have a piece of paper on the side because you always thoughts pop into your head and it's nice to just write them down. You can leave them there and get back to it. Yep. Um, Steven. I think it's also kind of a practice um, of kind of being used to doing it. So like, I guess as a, as a musician, like there's a certain performing enough that gives you the practice of knowing how to handle yourself on stage and have the mindset of being on stage and with like listening to a sermon or any kind of teaching, you know, putting yourself in that in that mindset and, and doing things to kind of practice focusing helps. So like listening to audiobooks or podcasts and or watching sermons online, just doing that enough that you kinda of get the practice of being able to sit there and focus and, and you know, we're we're humans, we're always always gonna be distracted here and there, but doing it more and more, I think we, we it's more of a kind of a mindset, maybe even a kind of a lifestyle thing that we have to kind of prepare ourselves for. Okay, sure. And we're all, I could generalize and say we're all talking about really how to listen to what the person sang, right? So hopefully understanding the message that they're communicating. What else might we be listening to and seeking to do as we're hearing the message? Like what... Ultimately, we're to listen to Jesus Christ, right? Which, to some degree, is his word. But what else is involved? Owen. Thinking about how the message practically applies to our lives and how we can apply it to our life after we're done with church. Yeah, excellent, right? I mean, part of... And we talked about this last week and for many weeks previous, too. The purpose in our life here as Christians is that we continue to grow into the image of Christ. That is, should be our focus. And then we testify to others, but that fundamentally is why the church is here to edify and strengthen the saints, to use their gifts. Okay. And to share the gospel. But the gospel really is just inviting people back into the church to then learn how to apply their gifts and seek to help each other to grow and mature into the image of Christ. That's our goal. So, as we're listening to the Word of God, yes, we want to be listening to what does the Scripture actually say and what is the pastor teaching. From that should come to some degree, as Owen's saying, how does this apply to me? So what? Like, why does it matter? And that is partly done through the conviction of the Spirit. So as you're listening to the Word, um, you might you're going to receive some conviction of needed change in your life, right? Does that, does that sound like, who's that happened to before, where you're actually listening to the Word of God, whether it's a sermon or reading, and you think to yourself, oh, yeah, I need to do that more, or, yeah, I need to develop a little more self-control in this area. I mean, that should be everyone should be able to raise their hand to that, right? That's also part of what you should be listening to. That is the Spirit 
guiding you and directing you to grow and mature, okay? That's part of our growth. So in listening then, and remember the whole thing starts with we should come having obeyed, which in the implication, just like all the other circular things he's talking about, is we come to church not just once, we come having obeyed, we learn, and then as we leave, the idea is that by the next time we come back, we should also have been obeying, right? So um, part of then thinking about how to follow the guidance of the Spirit, what things might be, uh, let me come up with an example, um, conviction of needed change in our lives. Let's say you, uh, you listen to a sermon and you think, you know, uh, I'll take an example from my own life. I think, you know, I have been uh, too harsh with the kids when I'm disciplining them, right? And not getting angry with them as opposed to just giving them a spanking and talking to them about repentance and change behavior, okay? So let's say that I'm convicted of, then what is the next step I should be taking to then follow through with obedience? Owen? Looking to the scriptures to know what you should put on in place of that sin. Okay, great. So finding, and probably it's that scripture that you were just listening to that is related to that thing, right? I mean, it's convicted you of something, right? So maybe memorizing that, yep, okay? Or if not, finding some related uh, passages. Alex? Um, Telling someone for accountability. Okay, getting some accountability. But what, let's, okay, don't take the mic from him yet. If... (laughs) You go to someone for accountability. What does that imply, though? What do you... That you want to change. But so, like, in your example, if you would, you know, you want to change that aspect, then you could go to your wife and say, hey, this is something that's been on my heart. Um, I'm going to try to do a better job at this. You know, keep me accountable. So what might that functionally look like, though? Like, that's pretty vague and nebulous still in my mind. Like, oh, help me keep track of it. Well, how am I going to do that? Well... You mean, so practically, I think that you can gauge, like, when you are administering discipline or teaching your kids, like, was I doing that in anger or was I doing that, you know, in a wanting to restore the relationship to God aspect? So evaluating your behavior in the future to kind of assess how well you're doing? Right. Well, keeping in mind, keeping it in mind when you go to do it and then reevaluating after. Okay. Plan, measure, execute, correct. Um, and then like at some point, maybe your wife asks, Hey, how is this going? Like, how have you been doing? And you can go back and you can say, Oh, it's been going well. Or, Oh, I, it's fell off my radar. I haven't been thinking about it. Yeah. So I think that's really key. You have to have some kind of plan, right? And that means you have to have some sort of goal, which means, okay, we want to, I want to be less, I don't want to be Uh, disciplining and anger. Let's say that's the goal, right? How am I going to do that? Whenever I go to discipline, I want to take a minute to pray and set my heart right before the Lord that I, my goal is to restore them, not to just lash out, right? Um, Not to, I find myself speaking in anger because I'm not disciplining. 
So it's kind of an inverse thing. So you get anger at him to get him to go away as opposed to I'm going to stop what I'm doing and take the time to speak properly to them and give them a spanking. Okay? So that's what happens with me. So in other words, or to get back to what we're talking about, if that's the plan, then you have to make some kind of commitment to achieving that goal, right? The, the phrase is something like a failure to plan is a plan for failure. Okay. So just keeping things really nebulous and not having a goal and steps to achieve it, you're not going to achieve it probably. Okay. So part of then listening to the guidance of the spirit is not just being convicted, but then realizing, okay, I need to do something about it, which means I need to set some kind of goal and start trying to achieve. Do you have a question? Is that why Charlotte's standing there? Okay. All right. Is that questions on that? Comments? No one else has that issue? Okay. Um, and Koaleth does have some pointers on how to do this in the next section, but basically it starts by listening to that conviction. So as we're sitting here listening to the word preached, we should be following along, attentive to what's being said, and then as we're convicted of things, we don't have to sit there and dwell on it and come up with a plan right then, obviously, but as Mrs. Palmquist stated earlier, we can write that down. You know, my convictions, little column on your sheet, and you write them down. And then when you go home, that's a good thing to think through on a Sunday is how am I going to change this aspect of my life? Because it is, once again, that's our job. It's our function, purpose as Christians is to grow into the image of Christ. Okay, so... um, this is a question for you to think about, this rhetorical. I put it on the sheet so you could maybe start doing that. But are you disciplining your mind to listen to God's word and the conviction of the spirit when you sit in church? If not, what actions might you take to begin doing that? That's on your sheet. Hopefully that's helpful if you take some time to think through that um, and start implementing that. The Lord will bless you in that. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. Verse, f- verses 4 to 7 is kind of the next chunk here. So, so far we've talked about when you come to church, you, I mean the temple, but I'm just putting it in our time context here. Um, when you come, you should come having obeyed. And then the next thing is wh- how we're praying, how we're talking to God, how we're listening to God. That's the next aspect. That's sort of while we're here. The next section deals with vows, promises of things we're going to do when we leave. Okay. When you vow a vow to God, this is verse 4, do not hesitate to pay it, for fools have no fixed will. Pay that which you have vowed. Better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not suffer your mouth to cause your flesh to sin, and do not say before the angel that it was error. Why should God be angry on account of your idle talk and destroy the work of your hands. 
for it is through the multitude of idle thoughts and vanities and much talking. But fear the Lord. Okay. So it's pretty straightforward, verses 4 and 5. Um, when you vow a vow to God, do not hesitate to pay it, for fools have no fixed will. Pay what you vowed. Better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So when you do make a vow, you should do what you vow without hesitation. And it's the fool who does not remain committed to his vow. Therefore, pay what you vow. So lessons we could take from that, which I'm sure they're all pretty obvious to you, but um, don't hesitate fulfilling your commitment. Uh, Do it as soon as you're able. Don't change or modify your vow. That would be consistent and determined in what you're doing. And if you do change or modify your vow, that is, as we all have at some point, that's being foolish. So probably don't want to do that. Um, And so we should do what we say we're going to do and when we say we're going to do it. I'll read you a... um, This is kind of a convoluted quote, so just bear with me. Having spoken of the requisite state of mind when going to the temple and of the reverence and godly fear to be exercised in it, Coleth now speaks of the conduct of worshipers when out of it. In the temple, standing before the Lord and stimulated by conviction that a self-imposed sacrifice has a special merit in the sight of God, vows were frequently made to do or not to do certain things which the worshiper sometimes refused to perform after leaving the scene of religious excitement as as the sacrifice appeared too great upon calm reflection." Such voluntary promises to God obtain at a very early period of religious life. Okay, and then he goes through some examples of that. Um, Jacob, we are told, made a solemn vow to devote himself to God if the Lord would bring him home safely. These self-imposed vows consist of two kinds. One, positive wherein things are consecrated for religious purposes. That could be men who are to be redeemed. Uh, That could be animals, houses, or fields. That's all under positive vows. The second is negative, wherein one promised to abstain from enjoying or doing a certain thing, which was solemnly binding upon all. Okay, though the Bible... Well, so any questions on that so far? What a vow is? Alex. So Matthew 5, Jesus talks about, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, which I would take like a vow, right? What you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes, or let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more 
then this comes from evil. So how do you marry those two of like Koaleth saying when you vow, don't delay in doing it and Jesus saying like, don't take a vow at all. So that, to answer that, Mm -hmm. is more an exposition of that passage in Matthew, not this passage here. Okay. So, but I think we'll get to that, and I think we will deal with that. Um, Slightly different, your oath and other things, but let's just stick with this for now before we go off. Because I do have that on here, too, as a question. What's the difference... Oh, dear. Where is it? Oh, what's the difference between seeking to obey, giving commands, and making a vow? Like if you're in church and you say, hey, I'm going to go do this thing. How's that different? Mm-hmm. So we will talk about that. In a, but So not to get distracted, Alex, let's carry on and then mm-hmm. see what remains of your question after we we see everything he has to say. Is that fair? Yep, fair enough. Okay. Uh, the other thing I was interested by, the translation that you were reading, verse 4. Can you can you read your verse 4 again? When you vow a vow to God, hesitate not to pay it, for fools have no fixed will. Pay that which you have vowed. Okay. So ESV... When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Right. So the, like, on the surface, the fixed will thing and God has no pleasure in fools seems pretty different. So yeah. what's going on there? Okay. Um, let me get through this point. And then we'll maybe look at that, okay? Because I want to make sure we understand what he's saying before we start comparing it to other things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Unless your translation is different. I mean, I I take your point, but... um, Let me see here. So let me get back to those, okay, Alex? Because they're, it deals more with a grammatical thing than anything else. Okay, um, let's look at Deuteronomy 23:22. So Deuteronomy 23. Twenty-two to twenty-four, I think. Deuteronomy twenty-three, twenty-one to twenty-three. Okay. I don't know who wrote this. All right. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord 
what you have promised with your mouth. So the vow in this sense, and Coalesce saying something very similar to this, it's not really different. Um, if you do vow to God, you shouldn't delay fulfilling it because now it's required of you. You've said you're going to do it. It's sinful now to not do it. You're not required to vow, though. It says in verse 23, you shall be careful. Uh, let me see. Verse 22, if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You could see that in Acts. Remember when they offer their field, when, um, I shouldn't ad lib here. What's, who are the people, Ananias and Sapphira? So they sell their field and they come and they say, hey, we're going to, we gave all this money to the church or to, to the apostles, the church. And it, turns out they lied about it, right? But they weren't required to do that. So had they not sold their field, they wouldn't have done any wrong. And if they sold their field and gave 10% to the church, that wouldn't have been wrong either. But if they come and they say they've done something and it's a lie, that's quite a bit different. So same thing here. We're not required to vow, but if we do vow, we are required to pay it, okay? So... That is the idea of the vow. How would you guys then... Well, let me, let me read the fixed will part. Okay, so it is only fools who waver in their determination and do not know their own will. So the fool brings this trouble on himself it's better to just simply focus on what God has called you to do than making bigger promises. So let, let me stop right there and say, what's the difference between seeking to obey a command and making a vow? Like if, yeah, Mrs. Moore. Is it something along the lines of where you're, um, you're placing your confidence if you make a vow? It's as if it were coming more of your own will and yourself as opposed to seeking to obey, recognizing that you are dependent upon the Lord to bring about the fruit of that measure of obedience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... There, let, let me rephrase a little bit what I th think you might be saying, but it's, it's more coming from, uh, it's additional. We're not required to do it. We're sort of giving it as if um, we're blessing the Lord in some way, as opposed to just doing what he's required of us. Is that? You're nodding like you mean no. I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm trying to synthesize with what you said with what I was thinking. Yeah, I... I think that's fairly accurate. So here, the, someone else had a comment on vows? I was just going to say a lot of times in Scripture when a vow comes up, it's like you're giving surety for it because you vow by something, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it is almost in a sense of if uh, you vow by something that you hold sacred or of great importance or even something you could lose, right? Um, so 
swear the vowing by something uh, you see that sometimes and i think that might be significant because it's like you're trying to use something of great importance to add more surety to your word well this is just i just mean at the heart of a, a so let me a vow is voluntary yes you don't have to do it if you don't vow you haven't sinned so the idea is Obeying commands and committing to do what God calls you to do is not voluntary. That's obligatory. Right. Right. You need to do that. That's the difference is you're bringing your own thing saying, hey, I'm going to do this voluntary thing. Mm-hmm. I don't have to. I'm going to do mm-hmm. it. And it might be to get something else. Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, like Jacob says, hey, lead me home or give me this thing and then I'll dedicate Mm-hmm. I think Sam was it Hannah Samuel's mm-hmm. mom says, "Hey, give me a son, and I'll dedicate mm-hmm. him to the Lord." Mm-hmm. That's a vow. She mm-hmm. didn't have to do that, right. but she did it. God heard it. He gave her a son. Well, now she's obligated to dedicate him to the Lord, right? So that's the difference between a vow and if we're sitting in church seeking to obey a command and say, "Oh, I'm going to stop doing X." Well, that's different than a vow. Because a vow is some additional... Here's a silly example. Um, You are spending too much time on your cell phone. You're convicted of that as you're listening to a message. And so you decide... You say, you make a vow, um, I'm going to get rid of my phone for a month or stop using my phone or something like that, right? That's not a well-considered thing right but however the conviction is good but the idea is just think about your plan and how you're going to go about doing that as opposed to making some grand commitment and again the person who makes that vow and alex i have a an answer for your fool thing but come up after and i can i can show you what what their answer is um the making the vow is sort of that voluntary additional stuff that you offer to do. Um, I think it usually comes from um, a lack of, like it's, you could think of it like this. Well, and I think we have like three minutes. So maybe I'll try and go through this part quickly. But um If we look at verse 5, 6, and 7, I think it'll add a little depth to this because we're just thinking of vows kind of generally um, with more what we're bringing to it than what the text is saying. So five, verse 5, better that thou should not vow than that thou should vow and not pay. So not vowing is paired with those who, like not hastening on their mouths those that who heed the command and let their words be few. The person who vows then is the one uh, the, who vows and doesn't pay is the one who's heaping up words, who's um, paired with the multitude of words. So in other words, those who multiply words are paired with those who end up vowing and not paying. And six and seven, do not suffer your mouth to cause your flesh to sin do not say before the angel that it was error. Why should God be angry on account of your idle words? 
and destroy the work of your hands. For it's through the multitude of idle thoughts and vanities and much talking, but fear the Lord. So the idea is that if you come and heap up words and heap up ideas of what you're going to do, it results in those abundant promises of doing things that you don't actually end up doing. It's better not to do that and simply to obey, to follow the commands that we have been given instead of making additional promises. So the, usually that promise to overperform comes from a desire to make up for previous underperformance, if that makes sense. So an example would be an employee, let's say, is uh, assigned to write one of five job descriptions or some task, right? So they fail to do it, but then they promise, oh, yeah, I failed to do it. Next time I'm going to do two or next time I'll do three, right? To kind of make up for their failure. And we have a tendency to do that in our spiritual life as well. Hey, we failed to do what we should do, so next time I'm going to do even more, right? Um, so we'll leave it there, and I can kind of, we can summarize this next time, which I think is going to be a shorter lesson. Do we still have ABF even though there's the meeting? Or is it? Okay. All right. Sounds good. So if we don't see you next week for a short one, we'll see you two weeks from now.